All right, so we are uh, in class two of this new series that started last Sunday. And uh, last week, we, the first session emphasized uh, the selfless nature of the gospel, of God's grace and mercy to us, and how that is to serve as a model for, and motivation for us for how we then uh, treat our spouses, how we treat other people and that we are in relationships with, even when we are in difficult circumstances. So we talked about the fact that um, Dr. Keller and the folks on the video last week were talking about the fact that in some ways marriage is not about us. It's about us serving the other person that is in the relationship with us. Um, and just as Christ served and loved the church, so we are called to serve and love those that we are in relationship with. So today, last week they talked about this idea of being uh, selfless. The concept for today is the idea of covenant. Uh, the idea of being in a covenant. Now, what's the difference between a contract and a covenant just in general in our life? Is there a difference? Any thoughts? Megan? Okay, good. So um, you may not have all heard what she said. So she said that in her mind, a covenant, um, the parties involved, if, if somehow the, uh, excuse me, a, a contract, when a, an agreement is broken, the contract is null and void, or it could be null and void, right? But in a covenant, when a covenant is made, even if one party breaks it or doesn't fulfill the obligations, uh, the covenant remains. It's not something that's broken. Okay, good. Nita, were you going to say something or somebody else? Somebody, somebody else was... Piping up over here, Josiah. Just in my Sorry. everyday life, I tend to look at contracts more as it's a business transaction. I mean, I need to keep my word, but um, it's for that purpose. A covenant is something I'm maybe emotionally invested in. Okay. So uh, a contract being more kind of on the business side of things, more of a kind of a, a legal aspect of it and, uh, and matter of fact, and the, contra the covenant being something that you're more emotionally invested in. Jessica? Contracts, it seems like they're often renegotiated at different points. They're not long-term. Where a covenant, I've never heard of those being renegotiated, to my knowledge, short of somebody dying. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Other thoughts, Liz? I remember learning in this group. <laughs> was that, yeah, it's kind of like they said, it's a, a contract with a relational component. So a covenant being a contract with a relational component. Okay, good, good. Other thoughts, difference between contract and covenant? Any other ideas, thoughts there? Ryan? Um, maybe that um, often in a covenant, God is either an active party or a witness to it. Okay. So tying the idea of covenant specifically to the Christian faith and the idea that, that God is a party or a witness to it. Okay, good, good. All right, well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, let, let me, before we, before we watch the video... Um, What difference do you think those the, the 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 mindset of a contract versus the mindset of a covenant makes for those who are in marriage? Contracting is more like equal and even this, all of that, you know, it's equal split down the line, and maybe a covenant is, is sometimes it's 
you know, it's going to have to all be you doing everything because I, you know, I can't and, and vice versa. Okay. Good. So a contract's more kind of um, uh, quid pro quo or, or kind of this for that and uh, it, it, everything's kind of divided up and everybody has their responsibilities. A covenant is more sometimes one party can't really do anything in fulfilling it and the other person bears that burden in, in the relationship. Okay, good. Other thoughts in terms of the difference between a contract and a covenant as it relates to the concept of marriage? Well, the covenant and you're suggesting that you can't do that in marriage? <laughs> so you don't have the you don't have the option and if the, if marriage is a covenant, you don't have the option of renegotiating the terms of the of the covenant to the terms of the agreement all the time, okay? Um, in theory, right? Because in reality, that is a lot of what happens, I think. Yeah, good. Good. Any other thoughts in terms of how it relates to contract of Okay. Yeah. So the contract's much more matter of fact, much, much, much uh, more emotionless, and a covenant is more about relationship, which is more about um, there being something deeper there than just simply the. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Well, let's let's watch the video and um, then we'll come back and we'll talk about this a little bit more. Anything back there, Luke? marriage got married and how they might have changed or what you would for prior to getting married but now that you've been in it for a while how has your list changed how would you advise
question to you as we begin. So when I talk about is what makes marriage marriage. In other words, what's at the heart of it? Uh, what's its essence, particularly from a, a biblical perspective, which is This should be fascinating. All right, you go first. Uh, <laughs> we met each other when we were... want to talk about is what makes marriage biblical perspective, which is traditionally what's been the perspective in our culture as a whole. And let me throw out this question to you as we begin. So I want to ask about
talk about is what makes marriage marriage in other words what's at the heart of it uh what's its essence particularly from a, a biblical perspective which is traditionally what's been the perspective in our culture as a whole and let me throw out this question to you as we begin so i want to ask about your lists both before you got married <laughs> and how they might have changed or what you would recommend them to be afterwards in other words what was the kind of person you were looking for prior to getting married, but now that you've been in it for a while, how has your list changed? How would you advise others in sort of the qualities that they ought to be looking for in the person that they are marrying? And led so to the fact great. that this promise is at the heart of it. You know, I don't know about you, we've actually never talked about this. This should be fascinating. All right, you go first. Um, <laughs> we met each other when we were really young. You know, we were in college and I didn't have a list. It's just like, he's cute, we hang out, this is cool. And the relationship devolved over years and suddenly we were getting married. Like we chose each other for sure. And we actually, we dated, we broke up, we got back together. That was you like our- You broke up with me, just to be clear. <laughs> it worked out, it worked out. That was our choosing point, right? Like we're gonna do it. But you know, it's interesting because I do, I have not actively thought of the question of what, what would my list look like now? But I wonder if somebody had posed that question to Kristen in college, mm. what, what I would have said, I know it would be different. You know, I think about Joe's developing ability to serve me, what that actually looks like to be patient with me in my complete otherness, my complete weirdness in the ways that I'm not like him. And I think, oh man, you know, I would have, I didn't know that even needed to be on a list. And that's, that's huge. It seems like such an impossible question of how to grow together over the course of a lifetime. It's like the growth question to me, and maybe this is better answered by Tim. I think you've probably seen a lot more of this than we have, but I, I just, how do two people do things like reach for opportunities and, and make a home and try and change career, like lose a job and get a different job and change careers and have children. And you know, I'm such a different yeah. person as a mother than I was as a single person and that I was as a wife without children. We've been really, I think we've been really effective in making those changes and, and part of me wonders whether it's luck. Right, like so far, I think it's a really, it's one of the biggest questions that I have about how marriage works still at this point and yeah. how we're gonna move forward. And there is that, I think that background fear or question of, is this thing that may look like it's about me growing my career, is it really serving our family or our marriage or not? And how do I know? Okay, I'll say there's three things I think it would you need to have on your list of things that would help you grow throughout the marriage. Uh, but none, none of these three are, are, uh, are quick and easy even to explain. One I would say is a common worldview. And by a worldview, I mean uh, you're, you're, you, you basically understand reality the same way. And I'm talking about things like, what are human beings for? I know this is going to sound philosophical. What are human beings for? How do you decide right and wrong? You know, uh, when we die, what happens? 
I mean, I know you say that's religion. Well, yeah, it's a little even bigger than religion. It's more like it's what John Rawls calls comprehensive views. I mean, people have different words for them. It, it means your, your common understanding of what human beings are for and what human life is about. And so it is kind of a matter of religion. And there has to be at least, I, I'm not saying you both have to belong to this, you know, you can't be a Baptist and you can't be a Presbyterian and be married. What I am saying is you have to have a, basically have the a, a same view of what life is about, the same faith, uh, or lack thereof. There, there needs to be some kind of co uh, compatibility there. Secondly, you have to learn how to solve problems, which means not always find that one person is always giving in to the other. Or that you're just staying away and just saying we're not going to go there. You have to learn to fight well. You really have to learn to not just fight well, but to fight through and you actually have some solutions. Now, thirdly, what C.S. Lewis calls a common mythos. And a mythos is this. Uh, you go to an art gallery or you go to an art museum and you spend like an hour in front of a particular painting. In fact, you get back there every couple months because you just can't get enough of it. And you actually notice that there's somebody else who, or a couple other people who tend to show up every couple months to look at it too, they'll probably be good friends. In other words, when, when, there's, when there's certain uh, pieces of music, certain narratives, certain novels, certain artworks, certain things that they give you a sense of meaning in life, and you find somebody else who does too, you've got the basis for a friendship. Uh, it's more than just, uh, we both like to play tennis. It's, I, I would actually say, even though common interest like that is great, it's more like if you read the same books and they both make you cry, and, and uh, then that's, that's what I mean by mythos. So I would say those three things, that gives you what you need to move forward, not actually money, not actually uh, temperament, you know, introvert, extrovert, all that stuff is probably not nearly as important as those three things. Tim? We're, we're at least occasionally using the language of covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the language that uh, Christians use about the vows that are made. What's the difference between a covenant promise and a contract? A covenant is actually a combination of law and love. It's, it's a contract all by itself. Is a, a fairly uh, sets up a kind of consumer relationship. So if I have a contract and you are to give me a certain quality of lettuce, uh, and I'll pay you so much per head. Um, we have a contract until you don't give me, uh, you might say the quality of lettuce that you said you were going to give me, now I can break the contract. You've broken the contract, so the contract's void. In a covenant, it's a combination of law and love, which means on the one hand, it is public and binding. It's, that's the law side. But it's also love. What you're really saying is I'm going to be there for you even when you're not everything that... Uh, uh, you say you're going to be. So, so it means I'm, I'm committed to the person and I'm committed to the relationship, not just to myself. Whereas in a contract, it's frankly selfish. It's, in other words, I'm committed to the contract as long as I'm getting out of it what I want. If as soon as I'm not, then the contract's void. A covenant is a binding um, combination of law and love. So in some ways, it's more intimate than just a personal relationship because of the, the binding commitment. So essentially what you're saying is it's not so much fidelity to the legal word, but it's fidelity to a person. Let me ask you this, and maybe we can start over here because, um, you know, I'm not Christian. And on the one hand, I feel like 
I feel like Tara and I would answer the three or the three topics that you touched on very, very similarly, and I can see how that's reflected in in our marriage. But what do you feel, and what do you two feel, makes Christian vows unique or perhaps essential, as opposed to like we were married in a Unitarian church, and I feel very passionately about the vows that we took, and we did write them ourselves.、Um, But I would love to hear, actually, from all of you, what you feel like makes the Christian vows unique. Well, I'll, I'll start, but I won't go as far as I'd like to hear what everybody else is saying too. One time, I was talking with a Jewish man and a、um, Christian woman who came and said, "Would you marry us?" And I, I basically said, "Well,、uh, I said, look, I." Love you both. I wish you both the best. If you get married, I'll be as friendly and supportive as possible. But I'd rather not do the wedding. And I explained the reason why. I, and I, I basically said, if your faith is、um, uh, at the very center of your life, which I hope it would be, then that would be part of your center. You can't share with the other person.、Mm-hmm. And so you're either going to have to put, you're going to have to kick the faith out to the periphery, or、uh, suffer the feeling like. This person I'm married to doesn't understand this very important thing, which is kind of very isolating and awful. What's funny is they said, "That's funny." Our rabbi said the same thing.、Mm-hmm. The rabbi said, "I love you. I'd be supportive of you, but I still won't do the wedding." And he said exactly the same thing. So at one level, I would say the reason I advise this is not because Christianity is unique, even though I do think it is, and、I'll, I think we ought to move on and answer that question. I think even if it at, at, at one level. Just making sure that the most important faith commitments that you have are shared by the other person—it's actually just common sense—so that you that you really feel like you can be intimate. Otherwise, you either have to push it out to the periphery, or you can't be intimate in one area where you really need to be intimate. So at, that's one level. You know, I would say that. The promises that are made in different faith traditions, and no faith tradition at all, as long as they're promises and not proclamations, are all not that, are not all that different from each other. I think what potentially is different is that、uh, from a, a Christian perspective, we on the one hand believe that human beings are uniquely able to make promises because we're made in the image of God, and it's actually it's, we're built to do it. <laughs> we're created. To make promises, but not only are we created to make them, which sort of enriches that promise to some degree, and you say, "Oh, this is what I'm built to do," but we also believe in a promise-making God.、Uh, others want to comment on that, reflect on that. We actually, I consider God to be an active participant in our marriage, and so that seemed a little theoretical when we got married. It felt really good. It seemed really like the right thing to do. Like this is great. God sanctions our marriage. What God has brought together, let no one tear apart. We're talking about a three-stranded cord, yes, like the, the two of us and God bound together. You know, that sounds like what a great picture. Yes. And, you know. But now, as we've walked through that, as we've lived this out, one of the things that defines our marriage in a way that I was not anticipating, and I don't know that I ever could have, is that. Joe will come to me and he'll speak God's promises to me. So there's something outside of the context of our marriage that we both understand that is bigger than us and that we believe is really important. And he'll come to me and he won't just tell me that he loves me. He'll tell me that God loves me and he'll remind me of the promises that have been made that are actually bigger than our marriage and that are being worked out through our marriage. Sam, I would just add、uh, what makes Christian the Christian commitment unique 
His Christian identity is different than any other kind. All other religions and um, uh, modern secularism, every other culture I know, your, your identity and your self-worth is basically achieved. You have to perform. You either have to live up to religious standards or your own standards or whatever, and you, you, you achieve it. And so that means that your, your self-worth goes up and down depending on how well you think you're doing. And you need other people's, uh, 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 you need other people to bolster it by saying you're great. Christian identity is received. You're completely accepted by God, by grace, because of Jesus. And that gives you a deep um, combination of both humility, because you got it as a gift, but at the same time, unbelievable strength, because you're completely affirmed by God. The only person whose opinion in the universe counts, accepts and loves you. Now, to the degree that sinks in, the fact is that most Christians don't live into that identity, but just a little part. Uh, and it takes time to live into it. But if two Christians are married and are living into that identity together, it gives you a, a kind of security that enables you to be extraordinarily open about your own flaws. And it enables you to give criticism and take the wrath of the other person because their wrath temporarily doesn't destroy you the way it does if that person's love is your main, a big part of your self, a self identity and your self worth. So it gives you the ability to criticize each other and take criticism from each other in a way I don't think any other kind of identity does. So there are some things about Christianity that are unique that give that give a, a marriage a particular kind of strength. Sam Terry asked a question reaction to that. You know, is that helpful? Is you know? Yeah, you? absolutely. I, and I think what you said sounds beautiful to my ear. We have differing opinions of like what role God and religion should play in our marriage and our lives and now that we have a son certainly how we want to raise him and what belief system we want to introduce him to and raise him in and we had a, a colicky baby I don't know if anybody's <laughs> familiar with that particular challenge really <laughs> yeah um, and when we have had a two-pronged marriage when both of those threads were coming completely unraveled, there was no third thread to stabilize us. And that was a really challenging time for us. And I think it inspired a lot of the conversation that brought us here to this point today. And, um, you know, Joe, you talked about having the same place to take comfort in during crisis times. And for us, that was a real crisis time because we were going through so much personal growth and our marriage is going through so much change and we had this new baby who is a complete lunatic to take care of depending on us and we were underslept and all the challenges that are you I know, may have had really my doubts about God but during that time I did wonder if he was punishing us <laughs> <laughs> well, well you know all the challenges the traditional standard challenges of new parenthood you know plus the screaming and um, and I think that's been something that we've struggled with we take we can take solace in different places, which then feels divisive. And I'll be candid in saying that I think for our, for my, for our worldview, to the extent that we share one, and I think we, we really do, mm -hmm. you know, like when your marriage is based on the two of you and God, you know, like a stool is always stable, like three points are always going to be steady. And 
I think for us, when we look to a lot of different things in addition to ourselves, like I've been to, I can't tell you how many restaurants where that four-legged table is just a little <laughs> rickety. And I feel like we have supports all over the place, which is you know, in friends, in family, in shared beliefs, in all these things. And, and sometimes that's really robust. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, that does wobble. I, well, I have to acknowledge that. The times that. when it is robust, it has been very supportive for our marriage in crisis times. And I think one of the things that we as a, a couple that is not overtly Christian needs to be conscious of is that when there's a crisis time, we can't turn to two different posts. When yeah. there's only three posts and the two of you need to turn to a different post, there's only one post to turn to. I get the sense that you know where to go when things get You know where to go. Tough. And we have to make sure consistently and together that we are not turning to two different places to take solace and reshore. I was just going to say, the, um, you know, the, the traditional wedding ceremony um, in the Christian church, you actually make two vows. Before you make vows to each other, you first make a vow to God. Um, it becomes the foundation for which you know, you make your promise to one another. You say, you know, hey, before God, I am going to, you know, give myself to this person. Only then do you turn and make promises to one another. And I think even that promise to God, however, is made with this recognition that God's made a promise to us. And uh, that's why we take this crazy risk <laughs> of making these vows to each other, of, you know, making this insane promise to be there through thick and thin with another person is because we know God is through there with us through thick and thin and uh, has ultimately demonstrated that by giving himself radically in Jesus. A key concept in this session is the covenant. We live in a culture in which almost all our relationships are what I could call consumer relationships. In a consumer relationship, you're in a relationship with another person or a, an organization as long as it benefits you. Right. As long as you feel like I'm getting benefit and the price is right. And as soon as you feel like the other person is not giving you the, uh, uh, the value for, value for right. what you're putting into it, right. you're out of there. At the very heart is God promising, I will be your God, you will be my people, and yes. I will give myself to you, and you will give yourself to me. Now that we understood that really very clearly from the vantage point of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament when Jesus shows up, then he, his self-donation mm -hmm. on the cross for our salvation is really where the whole right. concept of covenant makes perfect sense now right. that God is giving himself to the final uttermost in order to keep us as his people. Yes. The covenant is so binding that he will go to death and even beyond for yeah. it. And the reason why we are called to and enabled to make promises to our spouse and to say, I'm going to be there even if you're not everything you sh I would like you to be, even if it's not benefiting if. you. Uh, well, I was actually going to say, when it says in Romans 5, Jesus died for us while we were yet enemies. And as my wife will quickly attest, and I will too, there are times in which marriage feels a lot like that, that you are sacrificing yourself for the other person who doesn't seem to be on your side at all. And yet, because Jesus did that for us, we can do that for each other. But marriage 
is not all just, you know, sacrificially donating yourself and, and having a very, you know, difficult, martyred kind of uh, attitude towards it. There's mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Yes. And it's different. It's different for men. It's different for women. We both get to play the Jesus role. But we are in our different gendered ways, sacrificing and finding fulfillment. And actually, um, that's really the topic for the whole next session. So I hope you come back. And um, when you do, we'll talk more about that. See you then. All right, so I lost about five minutes there with that little technological snafu. Apologize about that. Um, so I'm going to, instead of, I was going to draw out some conversation, but I'm going to kind of go to where I want to go here. We just have about ten minutes. Um, they made a distinction between a contract and a covenant and talked about a covenant as, as enfolding both, I think the word he used was law and love, or truth. And love. Remember when he was saying that? Um, that's what I want us to reflect on just for a few minutes. That, so first of all, the Bible, uh, in numerous places, uh, God speaks about marriage in covenantal language. Okay? So I, you may not all be in the same place on that, but for where we're going for right now, my starting point is that God himself speaks about marriage, that relationship, as being a covenant rather than a contract. Okay, So if, if you're not there on that particular point, um, come talk to me after the service and we can kind of work through that a little bit more. But that's where I'm going to start with that right now. And uh, because of that then, our, our marriage relationships in particular, this, this has implications for all kinds of relationships, but in particular our marriage relationship, if, if it's to be viewed by us as a covenant, that means it's supposed to include both the law, the truth aspect, as well as the love aspect. Whereas a contract is just more the legality aspect of things. We, a number of you picked that up in your comments before we saw the video. So um, I want to read one of the things that uh, comes out of the book that this video series is on. Um, so... There's a quote in the book that says, Marriage has the power of truth. So there's the truth, the law side of things. Which means, it has the ability to reveal to me who I really am with all of my flaws. Marriage has the truth component because it has the ability to show me, to reveal to me, who I really am in all of my flaws. Anybody? Experienced that in a marriage before? <laughs> right? Um, it, it shows those things out. So it has that power of truth. How, how wonderful that it also has the power of love. An unmatched power to affirm and heal you of your deepest wounds and hurts of your life. So the idea of a covenant, in, in, in particular as it relates to marriage, is that it, it should have both. It should have the truth component where we actually come face to face with who we really are, with all of our flaws, but also the love component, the affirmation component that then in the midst of all of those flaws being revealed, we are also affirmed and loved by the person that sees that 
more than anybody else. So, what I want you to reflect on is, for those of you that are married, which of those, the truth component or the love component, more characterizes your relationship in your marriage? Probably nobody in the room threads the needle perfectly. We're bent one way or the other, more than likely. We're, we're particularly gifted in showing truth and the, the flaws in the other person. Or we're particularly bented in looking over those things and just affirming and loving. But we're probably bent one way more than the other. And so I want you to reflect on where are you. And it, it, it also applies into other relationships. Although the, the, the binding of the covenant is a little bit different if we're talking about friendships, if we're talking about other family kind of connections. But the principle, I think, is still there that there should also be a truth component and a love component um, in those relationships. And so uh, how do we generally treat other people? Do we generally treat them with that law of truth, that power of truth, or with the power of love? And where are we missing maybe, or not hitting the mark as well as we could. Now, let me, uh, as we think about that, let me, uh, as, we, as we finish up, let me read you this quote, and then we'll uh, finish up with a question or two. Again, this comes out of uh, the book that this series is based on called The Meaning of Marriage. Thinking about the law, uh, the, the power of truth and the power of love, Keller says, there's the great problem of marriage. The one person in the whole world who holds your heart in her hand, whose approval and affirmation you most long for and need, is the one who is hurt more deeply by your sins than anyone else on the planet. When we are first sinned against by our spouses in a serious way, we use the power of truth. We tell our spouses what fools, what messes, what selfish pigs they are. When we see how devastating truth-telling in marriage can be, it can push us in the opposite error. We may then decide that our job is just to affirm. We stuff and hide what we really think and feel. We exercise the power of love, but not the power of truth. Truth without love ruins oneness. And love without truth gives the illusion of unity but actually stops the journey and the growth. So what's the solution? The solution is grace. The experience of Jesus' grace makes it possible to practice the two most important skills in marriage, forgiveness and repentance. Only if we are very good at forgiving and very good at repenting can truth and love be kept together. One of the most basic skills in marriage is the ability to tell the straight, unvarnished truth about what your spouse has done and then completely, unself-righteously and joyously express forgiveness without a shred of superiority, without making the other person feel small. This does not mean you cannot express anger. In fact... If you never express anger, your truth-telling probably won't sink in. But forgiving grace must always be present. And if it is, it will, like salt in meat, keep the anger from going bad. <coughs> then truth and love 
can live together because beneath them both, you have forgiven your spouse as Christ forgave you. Now, go and do likewise. <laughs> as Jesus says in the parable of the... Right? I mean, I mean this, there would be so much health coming into our marriage relationships and other relationships if, if we viewed it from that perspective, from the perspective of the gospel, that truth-telling is necessary in relationships. If, if you don't, then you don't really have a, a deep relationship. But affirmation and love and mercy needs to be expressed in that same relationship. Otherwise, you don't really have the depth of the relationship either. And the solution to that is the gospel. As you recognize how much you've been forgiven, you're able to express the truth, but you're also then able to express forgiveness and express grace to this other person who perhaps has hurt you, uh, perhaps has hurt you deeply. But you remain committed in the relationship um, and pursuing both of those things at the same time. So again, uh, just as we finish here, um, I want you to reflect this week on, and again, it would apply across different kinds of relationships, particularly though if you're married, which of these two do I tend to do better, to do more? Um, which one am I particularly gifted at? <laughs> Truth-telling? And uh, expressing the problem, expressing um, the, the error that my spouse has made or my friend or my family, whatever it is. Um, bringing the truth of scripture to bear on a particular situation and exposing that for what it is. Um, or is my bent, is my gift more on the affirming side? And either way, you can go into an unhealthy place. And so this week, reflect on that. Um, and again, if uh, I forget the Mission Impossible slogan, I'm going to have to write this down so I remember it next time. But um, the mission, if you if you choose to accept it, something like that, right? Liz helped me out last week with that. Um, the mission, if you choose to accept it, is uh, what about even asking your spouse that question, having that conversation about these two aspects, and unpacking that with. Uh, your spouse or a friend, somebody that you care deeply with and try to express the, the dynamic of this relationship as well. Um, what, am I, what am I particularly good at? What am I not particularly good at? And how does the gospel come and touch that place? How does it inform how I'm supposed to be reacting and dealing with this other person that's in my life? Okay? Um, big order of the day in terms of taking that with you um, this week ahead. But I want to encourage you to do that, encourage you to continue to reflect on this, and to, as you're able, whether it's with a spouse or a significant friend or in small groups, to kind of continue talking and unpacking some of this. Um, 40, 45 minutes is only enough to skim the surface on some of these things. So um, use the community and fellowship that you have with other believers in Christ to kind of unpack some of these things more. It'll help drive it more deeply into your lives. All right, we're right at the time when we need to finish, so let me pray for us, and then we'll send you out and we'll transition. Father, thank you so much for, uh, again, for your word. Thank you for the way that you teach us in your word that you are a covenant-loving and a covenant-keeping and a covenant-making God. Thank you for giving us that model 
of how you have loved your church and how we are to love our spouses, how we are to love even other people in our, in our lives and our relationships that we have. I pray that we would continue to reflect on these things and that you would use our thoughts and the work of your spirit to unpack um, uh, the layers of unhealthiness in our relationships that we might be drawn closer to you, closer to one another, and that you would bring a greater degree of health in our marriages and in our friendships and in our relationships. Pray you would do this for your glory's sake, but also for the good of your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.